0: Hello and welcome back My name is Dr. Christopher Gennari Today we talk about Greek philosophy Or at least Three Greek philosophers So What is philosophy? Philosophy is not Walking around with your head in the clouds Going what color would I be If I could be a color Fuchsia Yeah Or, or, or Would I rather be a dolphin or a monkey? A dolphin or a monkey. Or the great question, the one we all ask ourselves, would we rather fly or be invisible if we had a superpower? That's not what philosophy is. Philosophy is essentially science. Our modern sciences all come out of philosophy because philosophy explains how the world works. What is going on? Why does it work this way? Now, you go, well, why isn't it science? Well, one thing is, science has experimentation. The second thing is, science has a whole lot of math. And if you haven't noticed that yet, you haven't taken a lot of science courses. There's a whole lot of math in that. And the Greeks don't have the math. They don't have the algebra, the trigonometry, the calculus in order to do what we would call science. They simply don't have it. They haven't invented it. They don't have a numeric system. They have a... a They use letters for numbers, like the Romans do. That's very hard to do f- fractions, to do decimals. You, It's impossible to do... They don't have zero, so it's impossible to do negatives. Negative numbers, which means theoretical math is out. So the the Greeks have what they call logic, what we would call logic. And if you've ever done like uh, math proofs, if P then Q, like geometric proofs, that's what we're talking about when we talk about Greek mathematical philosophy. If one angle is 90 degrees, then two angles must be Whatever. Another 90 degrees, right? Because triangles equal a uh, straight line. So, you have to explain what's going on. So, philosophy is there to explain what's going on. And so we have Socrates, we have Plato, and we have Aristotle. So, we're going to make a chart. So, you make Socrates. Socrates is the teacher to Plato. Plato is the teacher to Aristotle. So, What does Socrates think? Socrates thinks knowledge is innate. It is part of you. It is inside of you. Why would he think such a stupid idea? Well, he's not stupid. He's incredibly smart, actually. Why he thinks that is because he believes in democracy. So if you think people having knowledge inside of them and all the knowledge they'll ever need is already a part of their soul, is stupid, then you hate democracy. And you think democracy is stupid. Which is fair. Lots of people think democracy is stupid. But that's why. Socrates fought for Athens in the Peloponnesian War. He was a citizen of Athens. He fought for Athens. He is at Delium. He survives Delium. You don't fight for Athens if you don't believe in the democratic system because Athens has been a democracy by this point, by about 100 years. So he believes in democracy and the number one value of democracy is equality. All people are equal. So when it comes to knowledge, all people must have access, must have, have knowledge. They're equal in their knowledge. So for Socrates, it's innate. It is inside of you. It's part of you. Now, we're not talking about nuclear launch codes or anything. We're not talking about nuclear physics. We're talking about what Socrates had was great questions. What is courage? What is honor? What is love? What is the truth? And you say, well, that's stupid. The truth is, is not a lie. Oh, yeah? Really? Let's talk Santa Claus for a while, eh? Spoiler, there's things about Santa Claus adults know that kids don't. And adults don't tell those kids those things. I hope you appreciate that I'm telling this so that there's no spoilers in a car trip anywhere. But there's things adults know. And they don't share that knowledge. They keep it to themselves. So, is mommy and daddy a liar? Big fat liars? Because we know liars are bad people. But you don't think of yourself as a bad person. You don't think what you're doing is evil or deceitful or bad. You think it's good, it's fun. It's positive. But you're lying. You know you're lying. I know you're lying. We all know you're lying. And who's lying? We all are lying. The entire society is lying. Corporations, the mall, everybody is lying. But we don't feel bad about it. And yet we know lying is bad. And yet we do it. So what's the truth? Or what's the importance of the truth? We talk about Santa Claus and suddenly the truth gets real murky about what's good and what's bad. That's all I'm saying. But there's a problem. And that problem is stupid people. I I can't say that. There's not stupid people. There are people who make terrible and horrible choices in front of you and that you can't stand. You are driving right now. You have, are dealing with those people. You have stood in line behind those people. You have had conversations with those people. And you're like, oh my God, how can you be this old and this stupid? Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle have to deal with that. Why are there people who just are, don't know What the hell they're doing. And for Socrates. Knowledge is innate. Is inside of you. But it's not accessible. Easily. You need someone to help you. You don't know what's inside of you. And I'm going to tell you. I don't know what's inside of me. And then I look at a Gray's Anatomy textbook. And I go. Whoa, let's be happy that stuff stays inside. So people don't know what the knowledge is that they don't know. You don't know what you don't know. And so what you need is someone like Socrates to come along and ask you leading questions. Not tell you, not say the answer is, but ask you leading questions. That's what I do. That's how my class works. That's why it's slow. We get the nut job done. But that's why I ask, why, how, how do you know, what do you think? And I never ask a question you can't answer. But I never try to give you the knowledge either. I try to get you to make that bridge between what you know and what you understand and what we're talking about. And so it's a series of leading questions. It's like going... Two, it's like getting to eight. If we were in math, we'd have line meaning equals eight, but a big blank space in front of that equals eight. Go ahead, you could draw that. You could do it on a piece of paper. If you got a piece of paper, draw, draw, draw equals eight with a big space in front of it. Big space equals eight. Now get us there, get us to eight. Well, there's lots of ways. 7 plus 1 9 minus 1 Uh, Square root of what? 64? We haven't even gotten into cosines Algebra, calculus 7 and 2 thirds plus 1 third Oh, we can multiply 8 times 1 4 times 2 2 times 4 That's complicated. There's a lot of ways to get to eight. Eight is scary, man. Because which answer is the right answer? I'm gonna help you. Write down a two. Is that scary? That's not scary. It's a two. What's a two? A two is one plus one. We deal with twos all the time. We go out to dinner table for two. Even if you ask for a table for one, you get a table for two. You hang out in twos. You get married in twos. Sometimes you have kids in twos. Life has a lot of twos. We're pretty happy with that. Two. Put a plus sign. And put another two. Was that scary? No. No. Why? Because we already just dealt with a two. We've seen a two. I haven't added anything new. We haven't added, uh, weird signs, crazy-ass formulas, things in Greek you've never seen before but mean numbers. No, just a two, boring, old two. Add another two. And add another two. What does that equal? Exactly. We got there. It took us a little longer. And it was less sexy than square roots. But we got there in a slow, progressive thing of stuff you already understood. You understood two and you understood plus. We didn't do anything complicated. It was nice and simple. And that's what Socratic method is. That's what leading questions are. I have students who will get frustrated with me and they'll say, what is the answer? And I say, you have the answer. You tell me what the answer is. The whole point of education is for you to discover it. So what do you think? And that's what Socrates is doing. That's what the Socratic method is about. So what happens to Socrates? He dies. That's why he's important. His death is important. Why? Because of what it meant. What it stood for. Because how it happened. Socrates' death is up there with Jesus' death in terms of importance. It's an important one for Western thought, for Western society, for Western culture. Why? Because this is how he died. This is, this is David's painting of the death of Socrates. Socrates taught, and he had, and his students were happy to be his students, and his students went home, and he said, Mom, Dad, listen to what I learned and then they told him what Socrates taught them and the parents said holy crap we can't have your children learning this these are crazy things and if you don't think this is happening you go ahead and ask a junior high health teacher what they have to deal with with parents every year biology 101 when they do human anatomy and reproduction every oh this is a sex class oh <sighs> There's always, every year in the fall, a news report about how the local college is going to teach your daughters how to have sex. And you're like, no, it's simple reproductive systems. It's biology. But we have to teach you how these parts work. Sorry. And parents freak out. Well, this is an age where parents freaked out. It's a democracy. They went to the democracy. They went to the assembly and said, we want him tried. He's against the values. He's against Athens. He hates Athens. And it's a democracy. So they said, OK, we'll have a trial. And he had a trial. And this, this is in Plato's Apology, uh, Apologia. Explanation. Apology is not "I'm sorry." Apology is means explanation. Christians will take it on to mean "I'm sorry" because Christians are guilty of everything. If you want to know why Christians are guilty or feel guilty about everything, read Saint August uh, Saint Augustine's Confessions. That's a book about how you feel guilty about everything because you're a bad person. And so, when you're explaining, when you're issuing an apology, you're explaining why you're a bad person. But that's a Christian notion that has to do with a Christian identity. Socrates isn't Christian. He's a polytheistic Greek. So when Plato writes about the death of Socrates, he writes the explanation. Why did this happen? Why did this terrible thing happen? And what does it mean? And the answer is that he was found guilty. By the democracy, the democracy he believed in. We had a trial. They had 500 people on the jury. Everybody wanted to be on the jury. And at the end of the day, he was found guilty. And he was sentenced to death. And so, what he did to preserve his dignity rather than being executed, and if you've ever watched Game of Thrones, like season one, what happens in episode nine to one of the main characters? you understand why Socrates would take this method. Because otherwise, they come to your door, they knock down your door, they drag you out, screaming bloody murder, Uh, you pee yourself, and then they, in front of everyone who's throwing vegetables at you, they cut your head off. It's a humiliating... Execution is a humiliating death. Uh, Anne Boleyn, Thomas More... uh, Thomas Cromwell, what happens during Henry VIII, all of these people, it's a public spectacle. Later on, the French Revolution, same thing, but with a guillotine rather than an axe or a sword. Same thing, public spectacle, where you're dragged out and your death is the entertainment for the crowd. You could totally understand why you would much rather not go through that. And so Socrates gives his last lecture, a thing that many colleges continue to do, give a last lecture for a retiring professor where they get to talk about anything. I've witnessed a few of these. They sit down and they go, I am going to give my last lecture and I am going to tell you about, and they can tell you about anything. Fan fiction if they want. There's a story from one historian that I, I, I've i listened to and read the books of who tells a story about How he had a professor who was so, so disliked that Athens always loses the Peloponnesian War in history. Decided his last lecture would be fan fiction. Would be how Athens wins the Peloponnesian War and how it all turned out great. How the world was a better place. So Socrates gives his last lecture. Drinks the hemlock. H-E-M-L-O-C-K. Hemlock, which is poison. And dies, and you can see from this painting, this is David's painting during the French Revolution. You see, he is not sad about this. Why? Because Plato, who is the man sitting on the far left, sad and sitting quietly, Plato is going to portray Socrates' death as the attempt of ignorance to get rid of truth. People didn't like Socrates being right. They didn't like his message, so they tried to get rid of the messenger. And you know examples of messages that people didn't like so they tried to get rid of the messenger. Jesus is a famous example, Martin Luther King Jr is a second, Gandhi is a the third. They don't like the message, so they'll deal with they'll get rid of the messenger. So what does this mean for democracy? Well, Plato believes in democracy because he believes everybody's equal. That knowledge is innate. Knowledge is part of you. That everyone has the same potential. Not everyone can access the same knowledge because they don't have, they don't have the same teachers. They might not have any teachers to help them. But they have the same potential because it's inside of them. And that's a democratic notion that people have the same potential. Plato doesn't agree with Socrates for a very obvious reason. He thinks people are stupid. Why? Because they had the chance to have Socrates teach them. And what did they decide to do? Murder him. In their infinite knowledge, they got together as a group and made a choice to murder Socrates. So to Plato, they're idiots. This is how St. Paul eventually feels about the Jews. They had the chance, they had Jesus, and what did they do? They didn't follow him. They murdered him. So, you know what? Forget him. We'll go convert the Romans. So, Plato doesn't think knowledge is innate because he thinks people are idiots. So, where is knowledge going to be? It's in the ether. E-T-H-E-R. It is far away from you. It is so far away from you, you cannot taste it. You can't touch it. You can't experience it. You can't hold it in your hand. Ever. You get on the fastest rocket ship ever made. Ever. You will still not get to the ether. It is beyond you. So then how does anyone know anything? What you need is someone smarter to tell you. Draw a circle. Go ahead, draw a circle. Big circle, little circle, doesn't matter. Draw a circle. How did you know what to draw? How did you know to draw this little round thing on your piece of paper? How did you know? Who told you? Why didn't you draw three lines connected at angles? And you're going to say, well, that's a triangle. How do you know? Who told you? Did you wake up one day and go, oh, a triangle has, is, looks like this? No. You went to school. And someone smarter than you said, this is a circle and this is a triangle. And then they asked you the question. Draw a triangle. And if you drew a round thingy, they marked it wrong and said, wrong. That round thingy is a circle. this thingy three connected lines is a triangle get it right and if you keep getting it wrong they say you know what you're not ready for the second grade you gotta be held back until you get this right someone smarter than you tells you tells you what a circle is tells you what blue is how do you know what blue is how do you know what green is how do you know what yellow is somebody told you and then they sat down and they they opened up the book so dora Told you what yellow is. And then you sit down with mommy or daddy or your Uncle Steve, Uncle Billy. And you go, and Uncle Billy goes, okay, nephew, which one's yellow? And you point to blue, and Uncle Steve goes, no, no, that's not, that's blue. That's not yellow. And then you pick the yellow guy, that's great. Have a cookie. Thank you, Uncle Billy. You need someone smarter than you to tell you. Well, who told them someone smarter than them? Who told them someone smarter than them? And if you go all the way back, though, who discovered, who knew what a circle was? Someone who's jacked in, like Neo in the Matrix, jacked into the ether. Someone who is so smart. Buddha, for example, with the, the boom, Of enlightenment. Jesus with the halo. Or all the saints with those halos. Someone who's jacked into the universe. Newton. Einstein. Someone who comes along and is like. Boom. This is a circle. And everyone said. Cool. If that. Sounds familiar. Some place out there that you can't see, taste, touch, or know, that has knowledge in it, that has perfection in it, because what kind of circle is in the ether? A shitty circle? One with lots of bumps and stuff? No. An awesome, perfect circle. The greatest of all circles. What kind of triangle is in the ether? The greatest triangle. a place that's out there somewhere you can't go to in your life that's full of perfect stuff. Does that sound familiar? It should, because that's heaven. St. Augustine will use Plato to invent heaven. Or, I can't say invent heaven, invent our concept of heaven. Because if you read your Gospels, they talk about heaven. Jesus talks about heaven all the time. Never tells you what it's like. Are you playing checkers with with Jesus? All he says is, "I'm going to open up heaven and it's awesome, and I'm there." And you go, "Great, I get to hang out for an eternity with Jesus. That's awesome. I'm sure that's awesome. I'm sure he's a fun dude." But what are we doing? And this is how you get like, we're going to be on clouds, or we're going to be eh, walking through the forest, or or we we if you're a fisherman, you like the fish, right? If you're Homer Simpson, it was a it was a world full of chocolate where you could eat everything. For St. Augustine and the Romans, it was a city. It was Rome. But without the homeless, without the sewage, without the gross stuff, it was Rome. And Rome was run by a perfect emperor, by an emperor. So heaven is the perfect Rome run by the perfect emperor, i.e., God. St. Augustine's writing around 400 AD. The Roman Empire is collapsing. It's being invaded by, by by Vandals, by Visigoths, by Huns. And people came to St. Augustine and said, St. Augustine, what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? The, the Roman Empire is collapsing. What do we do? And St. Augustine said, Don't worry about it. He's very Zen. Don't worry about it. Heaven is your goal. And the people said, Yeah, that's great. What's heaven like? Because if it's the goal, what if it's shitty? And Saint Augustine said, "It's not shitty." Do you know your Plato? Have you read your Plato? And people say, "Dude, I'm Roman. Of course, I've read my Plato." We we conquered Greece like five hundred years ago, six hundred years ago. Of course, we we reread we, we everything. What do you, I go to Plato one hundred and one in school. What, what, yes, of course, we read our Plato. What do you think? We're idiots. And Saint Augustine says, "Do you know how he says?" That the ether is full of perfect everything? And they're like, yeah? So? What does that have to do with the Gospels and Jesus? Well, that's heaven. Heaven is the perfect Rome, the perfect world, where everything is perfect. Plato was right. He just wasn't a Christian. If he was a Christian, he would have called it heaven. He called it the ether. And everyone goes, ooh. And this is how you get that heaven is perfect. That God is perfect. That the afterlife is perfect. No one had that before. Not the Greeks, not the Mesopotamians, not even the Egyptians. And the Egyptians had a good afterlife. But their good afterlife was the exact same life you were leading in life. The Christians invent the concept that your afterlife is way better than your regular life. That's a Christian concept, a Christian invention. The afterlife is way better. And so, and it makes sense, right? The, The original people who were Christians had shitty lives a lot of them are slaves a lot of them are low orders there are some important people who become uh christians in the early days of the conversion but for most people there's no reason to become a christian why their lives are good the gods are good to me why would i become a christian and accept this other god who got killed of all things that's crazy but if you have a crappy life and someone says when your life sucks and you say yeah i know and then you die. I know. That sucks too. And then you go to heaven. And it's awesome. It's perfect. It's everything you could ever dream it to be. It's better than what you could dream of it to be. What do people say? They say, ooh, I like that. Much better than Hades. Hades. much better than a dark place in the underground where I fade away into the, into the mountain. I don't like that. And so the idea of perfection, the idea of heaven, St. Augustine's heaven, this idea that out there somewhere is a place where everything is perfect and perfect knowledge, and that some people can access that and then tell other people is the core of Plato. So what does he think about democracy? Democracy is stupid. He writes the Republic. Now, the Republic is not the Roman Republic. It's not a real Republic. It's never been invented. It's never been in life. But it's the Republic. And who runs a Republic? Smart people. Who defends the Republic? Strong people. Who does all the work? Idiots, i.e. everybody else smart people. Now, this is where Plato might blow your mind for being 400 BC BCE is he's totally cool. With it applying to anybody. Race, sex, a woman, foreign woman, no problem. She could run it if she's smart. She has to be smart. A group of smart people, a group of people jacked into the universe. That's who runs it. And they will tell everybody else what to do. He is anti-democracy. He does not believe in democracy because he believes people are idiots who smell like pee most of the time. And this is not new. You've felt this way. If you've ever been, like, getting into an argument with your friends over where to get appetizers and a beer... And you've ever said, let's just go where I want to go. Let's just go to Applebee's. You have felt like Play-Doh. You are full of idiots. Someone should be in charge. I'm going to be in charge. Because I know better than they do. Applebee's has endless appetizers after 10 o'clock. And the beers are half price on Thursday nights. It's the best deal. Let's go. but I want to get ice cream. They have ice cream. Let's just go. And that's Plato. Plato did it. And he's a smart man. Plato is an incredibly smart man. You don't have to like Plato, but you have to give him his due. But you have to also realize he looked at what happened to Socrates. He was a young man. I know in the painting, he's an old man. But there is a good analysis of this painting that it's that the whole thing is actually the memory of Plato being played out and that the whole thing that he's a young man when when Socrates dies. And that that's a traumatic event. He watched the smartest man he knew being executed by the democracy. You are not going to support a democracy after that. You're just not. So what does Aristotle say? Well, Aristotle doesn't like Plato. Now, Aristotle is Plato's best student. Aristotle is possibly, or at least in the Middle Ages, was considered to be the smartest man who ever lived. Plato's smart, and it is possible Aristotle is even smarter. At least in the Middle Ages, that's what people considered. They considered Aristotle to be more right than Plato. So what does he think? Well, he doesn't think knowledge is inside. And yet he thinks Plato is wrong. So he doesn't think it's, it's out there and untouchable either. Well, what's the space in between those two places? It's around you. It's in nature. It's not inside of you where, you where it's hard to access, but it's not inaccessible either. It's right there. You could touch it. You could taste it. Kids do this all the time. You ever look at a baby? They put everything into their mouth. They experience everything. They touch everything. (coughs) So Aristotle says it's in nature. It's around you. Which means, how do you gain knowledge? Observation. You go and you look at it. You go and observe it. You go and interact with it. You don't experiment. Because an experiment is not natural. You want to know what the effect of cocaine on rats is. What do you do? You get a bunch of rats, mice, and then you feed them a whole lot of cocaine. Where does that happen in nature? It doesn't. There's nowhere where you're going to go and go find and say, okay, hold on, let's go look at these rats. That's an experiment. You are manipulating nature. That's an experiment is manipulating nature to to find knowledge. Whereas Aristotle's talking about observation, you go and you see it. You want to know how how a a long marriage is good or a good marriage lasts. Go find people who are married 50 years. And see what they do. Ask them. So to observe nature, you want to know how a river works, go find a river. You want to see how things work? Go and find it. He will become, Aristotle will become the center of medieval knowledge. If Aristotle said it, it was considered true. If he wrote it, it was right. Even more than Plato, Aristotle becomes the key foundation to Western knowledge. And that's how you invent science. A lot of the stuff... Aristotle will come up with, science has to invent a way of either proving or disproving it. In fact, for science to be science, it became science by proving Aristotle wrong because this is Galileo. Galileo's big problem is not the church. It's not the church. It's not them being stupid. It's not them being idiots. It's the problem that is Aristotle. And the church says, wait a minute. Aristotle said... The sun goes around the earth. That's the way it is. Now, they have a dog in the race because they're also saying, well, Jesus rose from the dead. You should listen to us about how to get into heaven. If you question Aristotle, what's to stop you from questioning us? Like, Aristotle makes more sense than the resurrection does. Because Aristotle went and observed this stuff. The resurrection, you have to have faith in. You have to believe in it. That's even more tenuous than Aristotle. And if Aristotle's wrong... And you question Aristotle... Why wouldn't you question the church? And so Galileo... Had to basically invent... Methods... In order to prove Aristotle was wrong. That anyone could look at it and go... Yeah, Aristotle's wrong. But that's why he ran into problems. Because people didn't want... Imagine you woke up... And everything you knew was wrong. White is black... Uh, Top is down. Everything... You're speaking Swedish. Mine would be blown. Everything you know is wrong. And that is... And science had to then figure out, well, what do we replace Aristotle with? Because people don't want that. People want to know... That what they believe in, what they live like is stable. That that it's right. And so you can't walk up and be like everything you know is wrong. People freak out. And so that's how science becomes science. Science has to be right 100% of the time for it to be science. You have to get the same thing every time for it to be science. To be a law in science to be the laws, you know, Newton's laws of momentum. They have to happen every time for them to be science. Why? why? Why such a high standard? Because you had to prove Aristotle wrong. So what does this mean for democracy? Well, Aristotle will write The Politics. He'll write a book called The Politics, which describes the different kinds of governments. And how does he feel about democracy? He likes democracy. It's got problems. It's not great. There's better forms. Why? Why is it not perfect? Why is it not the best form of government? And that's because of stupid people. Why are there stupid people? Because people are ignorant. They're not stupid. To Plato, they're stupid. They have the... in. They cannot learn. They're unable to learn. They're stupid. To Aristotle, they're ignorant. What's the difference? Ignorance is choosing not to know. They could know. They could go out and, and look at this stuff. They could know how politics work. They could know how the electoral college works. They could know how... Um, Rivers flow and the moon changes its phases. They could do that. They choose not to. For whatever reason, they choose not to. And so you have ignorant people. And a democracy, which is based on everybody, if it's based also on ignorant people who are imperfect, then it is an imperfect form. He he basically he says that people will be selfish and that a democracy will basically demand the base common denominator. Basically, it will it will want government to work for the people. You know, just give the people stuff instead of a more noble um, elevation of government. But he is pro-people. He is pro-democracy. Because... Everyone has the potential to learn. Yes, there are ignorant people. And so the practice of democracy can be problematic. But the idea of the people being able to make choices is exactly what he's talking about. Go out and see this stuff. He is pro-democratic for people. He's pro-democracy because his philosophy encourages you. You want to know something? Go on and find it. Go and do it. You choose what you want to know. And so what we have is Socrates, who's pro-democracy. He fought for a democracy. He lived in a democracy. Plato and Aristotle don't live in a democracy. Even though they'll both live in Athens, the democracy will end in 404. Socrates lived in it. Voted in it. He believes in democracy. And he believes people are equal. Plato doesn't. Plato doesn't believe in a democracy. He thinks people are idiots. He thinks some people are better than others and those people should lead. Aristotle thinks everyone has the same potential. But they don't for all fulfill it. They could all be awesome. But they... Just, some people. Many people. Most people. I People choose not to and so he believes in a democratic idea if not the practice of actual democracy and that's where we will leave so that's the Greeks congratulations next we do the Romans take care